From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. All right, here we are rocketed on the Automotive ADHD Show. Heard on the radio, 91.7 KLZR, and around the world as a podcast. My name is Matt West. I'm here to hang out, talk cars, and oh boy, do we have quite the packed show this week. There is a whole lot of stuff to talk about. These past couple weeks have been no shortage of interesting things. And uh, I will say, though, before we get into any topics, I have had quite the afternoon helping out a buddy with a um, VQ40 in his uh, Nissan Xterra doing a uh, job that requires taking off the timing cover. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. That's that's all. You know, it has caused me to have a whole new respect for Nissan owners. But before we get to that, uh, we got a lot of fun things to talk about, namely uh, Toyota and the GR86, as well as the new BRZ. It has a major problem. I talked about this last week, or well, I hinted towards talking about it last week. It's got a major problem that's resulting in the catastrophic failure of their engines. That's not good. And Toyota isn't very excited to warranty this either, yeah, as one owner found out. Uh, also, going to talk about very lightly, a little bit of EV stuff with a little bit of politics. There was a new bill passed that has some, uh, I don't know, some weird stuff in it. And we're, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. And uh, why is it important? It's EVs. Uh, we don't care about EVs. It's politics. We don't care about politics. But I think this is important. So we are going to touch on that briefly uh, as well as some new tire technology that has the potential here to... Um, to drastically, I think, bolster our tire supply, or at least our rubber supply. Um, and uh, this is really neat. So we're going to talk about that and more. But back to <laughs> back to Nissan here, okay? So one of my friends is doing a job on his uh, second-generation uh, Nissan Xterra. And that car has... The VQ40 engine. Nissans, of course, are famous in the past couple decades for the VQ series of engine. They are a uh, V6 with dual overhead cams, variable valve timing, you know, all the fun modern stuff. Um, and they're also, you know, widely, widely made fun of in the car world for sounding a little bit like Chewbacca when they're straight piped. I mean, come on. We all know that kid who's driving a Nissan 350Z and he's wrapping it all the way out at 2 in the morning with straight pipes. Sounds like Chewbacca. I'm telling you, it does. If you, I'm sure you're picturing exactly what I'm talking about. You have heard those cars, and that's the VQ Series engine. Now, the VQ40 is the 4-liter variant of that uh, in the Nissan Xterra. And... The timing cover on this thing had to come off for a number of reasons, and oh man, that was quite the job getting that timing cover off. And uh, I swear, that engine is designed to only be serviced when the engine is out of the car. There were so many different bolts and things and brackets that you really can't reach or get to when it's in the car, and other bolts covered up by heat shields that suck, and that you got to get the heat shield off, but to get the heat shield off, you got to get access to that area, which really means you just got to take the engine out of the car, and, uh, <laughs> but it was a pain. We did get it. We got it, even with some uh, rusty stuck bolts, even having to grind a slot into a bolt and use a, a chisel to pound the bolt off, like, we've had to do all sorts of stuff with it, and, um, 
I will say it, it has given me a new respect for Nissan owners. You know, right? We we like to make fun of you know those 350 drivers and sometimes 370 drivers. They are good sports cars, I will say, but you know they sometimes are the butt of jokes. And I think that might be a little bit rude considering now I'm not a Nissan owner, but this has given me some insight into what it's like to be a Nissan owner and dealing with that stuff, especially one who, you know, has to work on their own cars. And I can't, I can't believe how tight everything is with that VQ40 in an SUV. That's a big car. It's not a small car. I get maybe in the 350 and the 370Z. Those are sports cars. Everything's packed in there. Everything's really tight for weight distribution and, you know, power to weight ratio and all that stuff. It's all crammed in there. Um, this is an SUV. It's big. It's built off of a truck chassis, basically. And it's still that tight. <laughs> I don't know. That's just... Uh, so I attribute this, and I was joking with my friend while we were working on this, that this is all Carlos Ghosn's fault. And if you are, if you're familiar with Carlos Ghosn, you might know the story of, uh, you know, bad money and and embezzlement and uh, fraud, and then breaking out of jail and escaping the country. Uh, this is crazy stuff. And here's some quick backstory for you, just because this is a fun side note. Carlos Ghosn was the First non-Japanese CEO of Nissan. And he really, and I won't give you the whole thing. I could do an entire show on the story behind this guy because it's that bonkers. But long story short, he was the first non-Japanese CEO of Nissan. He did a lot of things, laid a lot of people off, uh, but he did make some profits for the company and uh, then was accused of doing all sorts of nasty things with money and uh, then was arrested by the Japanese government and put in Japanese jail. <laughs> and then what happens is he hires some former military guys as contractors to break him out of jail, put him in a crate, and put him on an airplane and sneak him out of the country, which he did successfully. Basically, in the, the a suitcase is a big is a big container that they put him in, but essentially sneaking him out of the country in a suitcase uh, to another country where he's now uh, been taking asylum in. And, uh, and you know what? He was the one who made all the cost cutting and all the decisions at Nissan when this VQ40 was designed, when it was put into that Xterra, when all these stupid design decisions that make this thing impossible to take apart, which I, maybe I'm over-exaggerating in a bit. I'm sure a Nissan tech is like, no, you just do this and you just take the engine out and then you can get to all this stuff. Well, yeah, there's your problem. You just take the engine out and then you can get to everything. Now, granted, how difficult it was to get to everything Makes me think that, honestly, it probably would have been easier just to start with taking the engine out. I mean, honestly, it was a big pain. Uh, but I was joking with my buddy, you know, t tying this back into Carlos Ghosn, that, you know what we ought to do is we ought to go find Carlos Ghosn, and I'm sure there's some bounty or something on him. We ought to go kidnap him, and then instead of turning him over to the authorities, no, no, this plays out like a movie, right? He wakes up in a dark room with a single light going over his head. You know, we pull, you know, a couple guys pull the bag off of his head, right? You know, he's tied up. And instead of, you know, wanting ransom money, instead of wanting any of that, no. Sitting there in front of him is a VQ and series engine and a toolbox. And and then he's told, yeah, take it apart. See how you like it. <laughs> okay. Just in case anyone is worried, no, we're not actually going to kidnap Carlos Ghosn. But gosh, that would be 
I'm just saying, that's what the, these are the sort of rage-filled delusions that cross your mind after you've busted your knuckles for the 15th time on the same stupid bolt that doesn't come out because the stupid power steering rack is in the way and you can't even pull the bolt out all the way without lifting the end. It's so stupid. Oh, my God. Anyway, I digress. I digress. I have new sympathy for Nissan owners, though. So anyway, there you go. Now, I, uh, I want to move on to something else interesting here which is tires. We all love tires. Some of us love burning and roasting tires a little more than others. But uh, there is some new tire technology out. And you might have known noticed this if you were watching uh, the IndyCar race in Nashville a little over a week ago. And uh, some of the cars had green sidewalls. What's that? Why is it green? And that's because uh, there's a set of tires being branded under the Firestone Firehawk line of tires that is made with rubber not from the rubber tree and it's not synthetic they have devised a new sort of plant to get rubber from and this is interesting so a little bit of a recap on tires which is that um you know and you might be saying well hey what well, rubber i thought we had synthetic rubber on our cars um and we do we do have synthetic rubber in portions of the tire but roughly 40% of tires on cars is still made out of natural rubber. And I find that to be really interesting because, um, again, we think, oh, it's got to all be synthetic. Well, that's not necessarily true. And I should correct that. It's about 45% rubber. Uh, I misspoke there a second ago. So, uh, And so that means on a roughly 20-pound tire, about 9% of that is going to be uh, natural rubber. And that natural rubber comes from, you know, rubber trees. Now, I did a show probably, if, oh gosh, maybe six months ago now, about the rubber shortage, one of the many crazy things happening in the past couple of years. Uh, and that is that there is a parasite that is damaging, that is um, killing the rubber trees that are growing in different parts of the world. And rubber trees grow in very specific environments. They need a very specific amount of humidity, heat, and all of the above. And... Um, they have also come under attack from all sorts of, you know, nasty stuff that is killing rubber trees. Also, politics have played a role, too, with rubber becoming less accessible. So in the past year, we have seen a downturn in our actual natural rubber supply. Uh, and if you want more insight into that, I can encourage you to uh, scroll back through your podcast feed and uh, check that out, and uh, you'll find it there. You'll find it. That's the great thing about a podcast. You know, I love doing my radio show, and then I do the podcast as well. Well, the radio show plays over the radio once, and if you're listening to it, you know, live, you catch the radio show. But the podcast, you can always go back. If there's something you missed, you can always find it. And uh, But anyway, so what's interesting about this new technology, um, and Bridgestone has been the one pioneering this pre predominantly. In fact, they've invested about $100 million dollars into researching how to use a new plant. And this plant is called the Wayuli shrub. Sounds weird. Now, it's, pr it's pronounced Wayuli, but it's spelled with a G and Y and U and all sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of strange things that don't make any sense. But um, it grows predominantly in the southern part of the United States in the desert. Yeah, so this is a plant that they can get rubber from. And they've spent $100 million researching how to get rubber from this little, you know, kind of scrubby-looking shrub thing. They're not very tall. They're not very big. But 
they have spent a lot of money researching how to get rubber from these. And there's a little bit of a different process they have to do. It is a little more complex than just getting rubber from, say, the rubber tree. They actually have to use a solvent to separate the rubber from uh, the different parts of the plant, as opposed to, like, tapping a rubber tree and collecting, essentially, the sap or whatever, you know, the rubber. Uh, but they're able to use this. And it's interesting because this plant grows, for instance, in the deserts of Arizona, like nothing grows there. Nothing lives there, right? It's the desert. It's hot. There's no water. It's insanely inhospitable. And yet this little plant is able to grow there and they're able to grow enough of these, um, to make tires out of, which is absolutely crazy. When you think about how picky rubber trees are for their growing conditions and how specific you have to be for growing rubber trees not to mention too that rubber trees take several years to grow to a mature enough state that they can actually tap them for rubber as opposed to these plants which do not require nearly as much time and uh, bridgestone even maintains now a 287 acre farm at its research uh, plant in um, arizona again growing this in Arizona and other places like that. You know how much of the United States has just, you know, really unfriendly desert land and, you know, in South America and other places, there's, you know, you're not growing rubber trees there. And in fact, you're not growing anything there. You're not growing crops for food. You're not really doing a whole lot, but you could grow these and these can make rubber. And these plants, these Waiuli plants can, you know, make tires essentially and you could do burnouts with those tires that's kind of cool now they are branding this as a way to be eco-friendly and be green and have tires that reach carbon neutrality and i don't really know if that's true or if it's really that much greener considering that every process has things that it requires uh and the process of um taking these plants and turning them into usable rubber that they can then use in tires is more complicated than a, again a standard rubber tree so I don't know if that claim is necessarily true that they're more eco-friendly, but what's important here is that it is another source of rubber. It is diversifying our sources of rubber. On last week's show, I talked about diversifying sources of energy, why it doesn't make sense to get rid of gas cars to have electric cars and vice versa. We should have both uses, use everything that we have available to our advantage so that if you lose any one source, you're not completely um, you know, up the creek without a paddle, you could say you're, you're not totally hosed. So, and that makes sense, you know, with the rubber trees, with there being issues, political issues, with there being environmental issues and with there being a evil parasite that eats the rubber trees, um, you know, it makes sense to have another source of rubber that isn't affected by any of those things and say something happens to the Waiuli plants. Okay. We still got the rubber trees. Something happens to the rubber trees. We still have these. And then on top of that, we still have synthetics that get blended into all of this for the tires. And I think that's really cool. I, you know, I think that's a interesting idea and also another interesting way to bring some more industry to the desert. You know, again, a part of our country here that doesn't have at least a lot of crop industry. They might have a lot of other things going on down there, but it's not usually growing crops. That's not something you normally associate with the desert. So I think this is a cool piece of technology. Um, Bridgestone estimates that they're going to have this progressively more and more as time goes on. Uh, and they want to be totally switched to things like this, they say, by the year 2050. That's a long ways out there. But in the meantime, 
I think that means there's going to be a lot of tires around, you know, to do burnouts with and go racing with, because that's what we want to do. That's why you listen to this show, at least. So anyway, very, very cool stuff there. I'm interested to see this as it becomes a cheaper and more available thing. And as it grows as an industry, that's going to be pretty cool. Just saying. Now, coming up in just a minute. Oh, man, we got more stuff. We're going to talk about electric cars. But this is interesting. Trust me. And we're also going to play your car sounds and announce the winner of this month's car sound of the month. This is good. You got to listen for that. It's coming up right here. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharge BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Cars suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. All right, that is Devin's. LS swapped Volvo 240. You heard it last week. A clip of it with the supercharger wine and all of that good stuff. That's a different clip uh, there that kind of features more of that choppy exhaust note that that thing has. Okay, so you can hear that's got a whole lot of cam in it. That's got a blower. You can't hear the blower noise in there quite as much, but it's also got nitrous and water meth. How's that for a Volvo 240? I know, that's super cool. By the way, those cars sounds... If you want to send them in, you should send them in. It costs you nothing, and you get to have your car sounds played on the radio and on the podcast. How cool is that? And, you know, you also get entered for a chance to win the Car Sound of the Month giveaway. And uh, I delayed that by two weeks just to get a new prize in now. And uh, I'm going to be announcing the winner of that here coming up in the third segment of the show. So you got to stick around for that if you sent those car sounds in. Just saying, that could be you. You're going to have to listen and find out. It's going to be really cool. So, uh, and of course, if you do want to send those car sounds in, be in next month's drawing, well, you can do that. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Uh, you can also do it at matt at throttlewarrior.com. Send me an email there. Or again, the Facebook page works too. Do it. You're missing out. Just saying. Uh, now, another thing here, I, I, I just saw something interesting during the break here. Uh, and before we talk about Teslas and EVs, uh, shut up about the EVs already. I know we got we got important stuff to talk about, though. Uh, and uh, I saw this. Speaking of tires, I was talking about tires in the last segment. Uh, I saw this, which says that Lego, did you know, is actually the world's biggest manufacturer of tires. Yeah, no, it's not Bridgestone. It's not Michelin. It's not Continental. No, not at all. Lego. In fact, um, Going all the way back to 2010, they hold the Guinness World Record for the most amount of tires produced. And that's when, in 2010, they made 381 million itty-bitty little tires for Lego cars. And, fun fact, 
those Lego tires are 100% made out of rubber, as opposed to this stat I gave you earlier. About 45% of actual car tires are, well, the 45% of the tire itself, rather, is made out of natural rubber. No, these are 100%. These are authentic, and they're tiny, and they're perfect for super cool little Lego car builds. I love that. How cool is that? And you know what? The tires are probably, the Lego tires aren't as bad to step on as the Lego bricks. Just saying. It's not as life-ending if you step on the Lego tire instead of a brick. I'm just throwing that out there. Throwing that out there. So, hey, there you go. Now you know. And if you already knew that, then I guess you're ahead of me. You're ahead of me. Maybe you should be hosting this show. So, anyway. So, uh, I want to touch briefly. We'll make this kind of quick and painless. Um, there was a... Uh, an, an, I'm going to talk a little bit about the politics of electric cars because there's some weird stuff going on. Uh, there's a little bit of information about the new so-called Inflation Reduction Act. And this has a bunch of nonsense that is not pertinent to cars. Uh, and I have opinions on it, but they're not fit for a car show. And that said, what it does have on it relating to cars is the $7,500 EV tax credit. And that is making a comeback. Now, previously, that EV tax credit was only available on certain models up to 200,000 units made by the manufacturer. If the manufacturer made more than 200,000 units, then you would no longer be eligible to any of those vehicles after that would not be eligible for the uh, tax uh, break. Now, what has changed here, this bill, uh, which... Uh, was split down the middle. There was a complete tie on it with Democrats voting for it and Republicans voting against it, but it did win by one vote, the tiebreaker vote, which comes from the vice president. So that was a 51 to 50 vote. And it includes this $7,500 tax credit. But what's interesting about this and why I'm talking about it is the tax credit currently, if this is actually signed into law by the president, it made it through the House, the Senate, uh, if it is actually signed into law by the president now, it will actually include no current EVs on the market. And uh, hat tip to The Verge, a uh, tech publication, for pointing this out. But as it stands, there are 72 EV models available on the U.S. market right now. And only 70 of those, uh, or 70% of those models, I should add, are actually eligible for, uh, let me, I got that backwards here. Only a 70% of those are ineligible, I should say. Mixing up my words here. I know, I know, I talk for a living, right? Uh, but 70% uh, of those 72 models are ineligible for any tax credit whatsoever. And that's because of where the batteries come from. And it turns out that batteries produced with anything relating to China or other countries that maybe aren't on the best grounds with the United States in terms of trade and other things are not allowed and vehicles that feature batteries made by those uh, countries or with materials from those countries are not eligible for the tax incentive. So that is a whole lot of cars. That is a majority of EVs aren't actually eligible for it. Now, what this is going to mean is if this passes, manufacturers are going to be scrambling to get battery production going uh, here domestically in the United States. And, um, and they're going to be scrambling to do that. In fact, some manufacturers are already um, putting putting down plans for battery production plants here in the United States. Now, I will say this bill isn't as kooky and crazy as when I commented on the first iteration of it back in December. Longtime listeners of this show might remember, what is that, eight months, almost nine months ago, I did an episode talking about the bill and how ridiculous it was 
that they were excluding certain auto manufacturers for not being American, even though those manufacturers, Toyota is a great example, uh, even though those manufacturers were making cars and perhaps making EVs in their American production plants made by American workers and employees on U.S. soil, but because the company wasn't American and they weren't part of a certain union, that wouldn't be eligible for the tax benefit, which doesn't make any sense, right? If your goal is to increase environmental friendliness by making people drive EVs, which that's still arguable in itself, but if that's your goal and then you're excluding people based off of, you know, because they're not in this union or because the car wasn't made by a company that's American, even though it was actually made in America by American employees. Now, if you're doing that, that tells me your goal is not actually what you say it is. But I digress. That's getting almost too political for a car show. However, um, however, it's interesting to see here how many com companies will try to get on this American bandwagon. It probably uh, for production, that is battery production, I should clarify. That probably will be good for jobs. That might have some benefits there. Um, now, the question is, should this EV tax credit exist at all? And I would argue that fundamentally it shouldn't because it's exclusionary uh, to EVs. So if you have a piece of technology that comes around, say you have a hybrid. Say you build the best hybrid car and it's the most efficient, but it uses some gas and maybe some electricity, but it's more efficient than anything else. And it's more environmentally friendly and the production of it is, you know, the safest and the best and all of these things. It could be the best one in the world, but because it's not exclusively an EV only vehicle, it would not be eligible for the tax credit, which is supposedly to help people have EVs and be environmentally friendly, but it would, it would be ineligible for that too. So is any company going to make that sort of thing if they know that it's not going to be, if that no one's going to buy it because no one's going to buy it because they're not going to get the tax credit. People are going to buy things that are eligible for the tax credit because that's like a free 7,500 bucks off of the MSRP essentially. And, um, so it's exclusionary to other technologies. Um, you could have a piece of technology, maybe they do something where hydrogen or whatever. I'm, ju I'm just saying hypothetically as an example, uh, all these technologies have a trade-off. But imagine you just, for the sake of argument, that you suddenly came out with the best technology that there was no drawbacks, nothing. It was the most efficient. It was the fastest, the cheapest, the bestest. And then it wasn't electric, though. And it'd say it wasn't. It was all of those things, but not electric. Well, you wouldn't get the tax credit for it. And that's where I think the issue with this comes from. That's, that's, and that, that, you know, reflects my, uh, my views. <laughs> At least I'm consistent with my views, but that reflects my views from back in December when I did that show way back when now, um, I said exactly the same thing that that is going to stifle innovation. So do with that what you will. For my international listeners, I know we're talking a little bit of inside baseball, if you will, for the United States here. This doesn't apply to you as much. And I know a lot of my listeners are international. I see the statistics. I see the analytics. I know you're listening from all over Europe. And I love that. And that is fantastic. That's mind-blowing to me that you're listening to me sitting here, you know, in little old Colorado, and you're on the other side of the world. That's super cool. But here's why this is important to you, is because the U.S. tends to... Um, even though if it's not a direct influence, what the U.S. does with certain policies can also influence what other countries, especially allies of the U.S., do when it comes to policies like this. When this comes across, uh, you know, your government's body of, you know, legislation as to what to do with EVs and should you do tax credits, should you do this, how should you, you know, 
how should your government deal with this new technology? A lot of times, uh, you know, countries are might follow in suit with the U.S. purely because they're allies or maybe just because that's the thing to do because the U.S. being a big old country did it first. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I'm just pontificating, if you will. But that's why even though this is still, you know, more relevant for listeners here in the United States, even for my friends outside of the country, it's as important to think about. So anyway, I won't I won't uh, bore you anymore with politics or EVs. There have been too many EVs on the show. It's been like three weeks in a row. I've had some EV topic. Now, we want race cars. We want burnouts. We want all of the above. And you know, one car that is able to do all of the above is um, maybe having some issues. Yeah, this is uh, the latest from Toyota. The new GR86 seems to have a problem, and Toyota's not being very cool about it. And you know, I like Toyota as a company, but I'm not afraid to call them out on it. We're going to talk about exactly what that problem is, why it matters, and what maybe Toyota should do about it. Now that's coming up next. And now for how things work with an engineer. CVT transmissions. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttle warrior. Woo! Wow, that is, uh, that's quite the noise that's making right there. That car sound is courtesy of listener Weston. That is his 2011 5 Coyote Mustang with a Paxton supercharger. That was a clip of it on the dyno. He said making 700 horsepower to the wheel. How cool is that? I mean, you know that that wheel horsepower is always lower than the crank horsepower. 700 to the wheel is a respectable amount of horsepower by any metric, and that's a whole lot more at the crank, and that's super cool. Now, of course, I mentioned that I am going to be announcing the winners of this month's Car Sound of the Month giveaway. We'll actually really have two winner announcements pretty close to each other, because I delayed... This is technically for last month, I guess. I guess you could put it that way. Uh, I delayed the giveaway announcement uh, you know, for a couple weeks so that I could get the prizes and get everything sorted out with that because I'm adding something to the prize pool that, is all, that you're already getting. I'm not taking anything away. You're just getting more stuff. And, uh, of course, you are able, if you send in your car sounds, you're able to have a chance to win not only the automotive ADHD keychain, not only a $25 parts store gift card, but also the new, as heard on, the automotive ADHD show sticker yeah i know it's super cool when you're driving through traffic you can have that sticker on your car and that'll tell people to stay really far away from you because they'll be like ah this guy's got terrible tastes in, in podcasts we're gonna keep our distance from him no no but it is cool and uh, i am ready right here I, I i came prepared to announce the winner and i think he knows who he is because i already played his car sound ladies gentlemen drum roll that winner is mr weston and his uh, his uh, uh, Mustang right there. Very cool stuff. Uh, I want to thank you for sending that in, by the way. And uh, now, of course, uh, if you did send in your car sounds and you didn't win, that's okay. Because I keep the same pool of winners. Like, I don't drop the previous months every month. So if you entered and you didn't win, you are still entered for the next drawing. And that is something... Uh, that I think means you have pretty good chances of winning. I would. I don't know what those odds are, 
But I think anytime you send in your car sounds, you might have a pretty good chance of winning something. So, again, hey, it costs you nothing, and you get your car sounds played right here. That's always uh, really fun. Now, Weston, I will uh, get in touch with you here over Facebook Messenger, and I'll get some info on who I and where I need to send everything to. Uh, and a couple other listeners are also going to be getting some, uh, I'll call it an automotive ADHD care package. Uh, Colin Schrome, who was very kind to guest host the show a couple weeks back, uh, he's got some fun stuff headed his way as well. And uh, and Bailey does too, because uh, listener Bailey has been sending in so many car sounds, has been really on board with it. Uh, and he even called me out for some uh, operator error on my behalf. Uh, with a mistake posting one of the episodes of the podcast. So he let me know about that. And as a token of gratitude, I'm going to send all of you gentlemen stuff uh, from the show. Of course, the keychain, the gift card, and the sticker. And uh, that should go out hopefully later this week, early next week. And I'm just going to send everything out once. So hang tight. You will get it, and it will be good, and it's going to be awesome. So anyway, now I want to move on to uh, my next topic here, uh, which is... Uh, Toyota and Toyota has been, I, I, you know, I jokingly say they're my favorite car company. Now, granted, I really love Toyota. I love their products. I think generally what they're doing, uh, as a company is pretty good. And I think their focus on motorsports and enthusiast vehicles is especially good. Now, that being said, they are not immune to doing wrong and, you know that I am not afraid to call them out on stuff either. Uh, for example, when they did that really wacky thing where they said, we're going to charge a subscription fee if you want to use your key fob to unlock the car. Like, what? That was totally left field, totally bonkers. And um, and the nice thing about Toyota is they tend to listen to their customers. They got big bash backlash on that, and, uh, and they changed their mind. Now, what's happened, and you may have heard about this already, it's been making some splashes in the automotive world, uh, with the new GR86, uh, the second generation of it now, uh, which also is the twin of the Subaru BRZ. Subaru and Toyota have built these cars as a collaboration, with Toyota doing much of the chassis and R&D for that and a lot of the body and the suspension, and then with Subaru providing the drivetrain. These cars have a flat-four engine. These ones, the new series of these vehicles, have a 2.4-liter flat four, horizontally opposed four, as opposed to the previous generation's two liter. And that's where the engine, the engine is where the issue stems from. And uh, so this happened to a gentleman uh, a little bit ago. His name's Blake Alvarado. He has a 2022 GR86 with 13,000 miles on it. And uh, he blew up his engine after an autocross event. So he said, what the heck? I'm going to get the, take it to the dealer, get that warrantied. Well, they declined his warranty claim because he had been using it on track, which I understand companies have to limit their losses. Uh, track use can be very abusive sometimes. However, something run by a sanctioning body like the SCCA, which hosts most of the autocross stuff, uh, autocross is very, very easy on cars wear and tear wise autocross is probably one of the easiest motorsports you can get into and that's that's least hard on the car now the actual being competitive at being fast in autocross is anything but easy uh because the people who do it are very good at what they do and are very dedicated to shaving tenths even hundredths of a second off of their times now for the unfamiliar autocross 
uh, is a small technical handling course, usually laid out with a bunch of cones. It can be done in big parking lots, on airstrips. It doesn't need a whole racetrack. It's usually pretty low speed as well. Uh, most autocrosses don't exceed 60 miles an hour. Again, it's all about precision and technicality. Uh, and so he experienced a critical engine failure, namely a spun rod bearing after doing an autocross event. And Toyota says, sorry, we're not going to do anything for you. Goodbye. And so he takes it upon himself to uh, look into things and discovers that there was RTV sealant, which is silicone sealant, used to seal the oil pan on these engines. And in fact, the Subaru engines use a whole lot of RTV on everything. Most modern cars do use silicone sealers on a lot of stuff, right? It's not quite a old school gasket that's cut out, you know, piece of rubber, you put it down and then you bolt your part on that. It's all silicone that you squeeze out of a tube, stick it together and let it dry. And the issue that was discovered here, and a lot of other owners of these cars have also reported the same issue, and that is that the, um, uh, the silicone becomes excessive for the oil pan. The amount of silicone that's used is excessive, causing it when they squish the oil pan to the block, those, seal, those surfaces seal together, the silicone squishes out. Well, too much of it squishes out uh, from either side of that and creates these strips of silicone that can become detached and float around the oil pan and then get sucked up into the oil pickup tube and clog the screen from the oil pickup tube going to the oil pump. Now, this isn't the same thing as the oil filter you change where it's pretty easily accessible. You change the oil filter. This isn't. This is an internal little mesh screen going to the oil pump. Usually, they're just to prevent large pieces of, debri of debris from getting sucked into that oil pump, which it did do that. It did prevent the RTV that was dislodged, that silicone sealant material from getting sucked into the oil pump. But in the same token, it also prevented oil then from getting sucked up into that because that RTV clogged the screen and then no oil was getting to the oil pump and then you don't have oil, you don't have oil pressure and everything goes catastrophically wrong because one of the things you need in your engine is oil pressure. You are not getting by without oil pressure in pretty much any case. And uh, so that's what happened. And this only happens because um, the uh, silicone sealant from the factory, they're saying, people are saying, is getting applied too excessively. And that's causing the problem. And several other owners, both in the U.S. and Japan, have reported this problem. And one thing you can do to find this, you might be saying, well, crap, I bought one of these cars. What do I do? How do I know if I've got the problem? Is it just going to imminently blow up? What's going to happen? Um, and a good way of, uh, kind of figuring this out and figuring out what you need to do, um, comes by way of a uh, YouTube channel by the name of CM Autohaus, which has, uh, a host who is a, um, ASE certified technician who specifically used to work for Subaru. Remember these engines are Subaru engines. And he says the best thing you can do is getting a video borescope, you know, a camera on a long little bendy line, one of those. And sticking that up the oil pan, uh, the drain plug, you drain the oil out, you stick that up the drain plug, you look around in there, you look if you got excessive silicone uh, buildup squished out from between the oil pan and the block, and then you can also snake that up and see into the oil pickup and see if there's a bunch of silicone caked up there. And that's what you don't want. If you have that, you should take the whole thing apart. Well, you don't have to take the whole engine out, but you drop that oil pan, clean all that silicone off re-silicone everything, but don't use as much, and then you stick it back together. The good news is, if you catch this problem early, 
it's not going to be an engine out service. This is something you could do in your driveway with some hand tools. You could get away with doing that. Now, obviously, if you don't catch the problem soon enough, it's going to grenade the motor and you're going to spin the rod bearings like uh, uh, Mr. Alvarado experienced. Uh, and what is Toyota doing about this? Well, they denied his warranty claim and he's appealing that and trying to get that settled, even though he has now purchased an engine out of pocket and is doing the work himself. He's trying to get that settled. Um, and in the past week, Toyota, Toyota hadn't acknowledged it for about a week, and now they sent out a statement saying, quote, the Toyota GR brand is driven by enthusiasts and focused on delivering incredible experiences wherever the driver may take their vehicles, including the closed course settings for which their vehicles are designed, so long as they are driven in a manner that falls within the terms of the warranty. Again, their initial denial of this warranty claim I think shocked a lot of people because you see ads and all of the marketing material for the GR86 uh, being entirely surround it's surrounding um, you know track racing and you know having fun with the car and being on the racetrack and all this good stuff um, and then suddenly you take the car on track and they deny a warranty claim for something that clearly is a problem outside of the track use the silicone issue is entirely removed. From driving your car on the track completely so and um so yeah and I, I that's where i think a lot of people were shocked by that and i think they're going to reverse their decision i hope they do this guy mr alvarado I, I hope they do him well i hope you know they're they're known for listening to their customers but they're not immune to getting called out when they do dumb stuff right everyone makes mistakes and hopefully they can fix their mistake here and also perhaps issue a fix or some sort of technical service bulletin uh when it comes to uh the silicone issue now that really you know insert subaru joke here but really that is subaru's fault they designed those engines and toyota here is probably just sitting there thinking to themselves oh god why did we use a subaru engine no, i'm kidding i'm kidding all the subaru guys just like tuned out of the show and went back to uh driving around and vaping or something i don't know no i'm kidding but um no i, th I think subaru's you know, they, while they're also the butt of jokes for a whole lot of things, they can be very fun. But this issue, not a good one. Overall, though, you know, where's this going to be with the Toyota, this generation of the Toyota GR86 and the BRZ? Five or six years from now, they're going to keep making them. There's going to be a footnote in here. They're going to fix this. No problem. I think it's going to be okay. Um, it's just, you know, it makes you wonder as an owner, right? Like, I don't own one of these cars, but if I bought one new, it would make me wonder, hey, I want to take it to an autocross because that's why I bought a fun, cheap, entertaining sports car. And that's how they market it as being something you could take to track events and do, you know, racing with. Um, is, does that mean they're going to decline warranty issues for everything? Is uh, Are the power mirrors going to fail and they're going to deny my warranty claim because uh, I took it on the racetrack? What's, what's going to go on? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't give you confidence, but I think uh, I think this will end well. Hopefully, hopefully all ends well. Also, I will say from the note of working on cars, um, like that uh, VQ40 I was talking about when I opened the show, that has silicone everywhere. God, it sucks. You've got to like pry it off. You got to pop it off and break it, break it loose, and you know anything that's sealed on with that silicone can be kind of a pain. And then you got to clean the silicone off, reapply new silicone, and then stick it all back together and. I don't know. I don't know. It's not my favorite way of doing things, but it's how a lot of cars do it. So there you go. Now, hey, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. And remember, if you don't want to miss anything, remember to subscribe to this show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, wherever fine shows and this one are downloaded. Also, 
Spotify lets you rate shows. Yeah, let's give this show a six-star rating. They're going to have to add a whole new star just for this mediocre car show. But you know what? You're only getting this stuff in one place. It's really good. And I do want to thank you and thank the Patreon subscribers. They're the reason I can do stuff like uh, the Car Sound of the Month giveaway. And uh, they really make that possible and maybe contribute to the speed parts fun. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, that 100%. It goes back into the show every time. And if you get on the Patreon, you also get early access to the show. So you don't want to miss out. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Now, I'll see you right here. Same time, same place next week when I star in the next hit Michael Bay film. It's going to have robots and explosions. It's going to be fun.